Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. Jessica Stevens here, your host of the I Just Blank Now What podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me again for another Now What Wednesday. So grateful to have each and every single one of you uh, tuning in each week to hear these amazing stories from our awesome guests. And if you are new to the show, welcome. So grateful for you. Thank you for adding this podcast to your lineup of weekly listens. So excited to have you as well as all of our new patrons. Hey guys, how's it going? And uh, love hanging out with you guys over at patreon.com where you guys get to see some fun behind the scenes exclusive content, some outtakes, some bonus content, um, and some cool things from our guests. So yeah, if you want a little bit extra, um, head over to patreon.com dot com backslash I just blank now what and sign up as a patron today. There are two different options for you. There's a regular patron and then there's the all access patron. So decide what's the best option for you and come and hang out with us over there. So today on the podcast, we have an amazing episode. I know I say that every single week, but it's true. They're all so awesome and amazing. I love all of these stories. Um, and today I sit down with Anna Maria Didio and she shares her, I just want to adopt now what story. And she talks about her own fertility challenges that she and her husband experienced and then, you know, making the decision to want to adopt and what that was all like for her and her family. So a little bit about Anna Maria. She is an adoptive mother, uh, was inspired to write her memoir, Love at the Border, an adoption adventure after her own family journey through adoption. Now her LIFE, which stands for Love Inspires Families Everywhere, adventure series of children's books features stories about adoption, foster care, stepchildren, and all blended families from the point of view of the child. Anna Maria hopes that her books encourage open and honest exploration about what children are thinking and feeling within their own unique family. She can be found at home in Philadelphia, walking everywhere, swimming laps, reading biographies, or baking chocolate chip cookies, except when traveling to new and exciting places with her husband, Richard. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank. Now what? Me too, friend. Me too. I've had quite a few actually. And in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out. Sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own I just blank now what stories so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Hey friend, did you just think to yourself, I just love this podcast, now what? Well, I hope you do, and if you did, I got the answer. Become a patron and support the show. For just a $5 financial gift a month, you can access episodes early and without ads. Plus, you'll be entered to win our monthly Patreon giveaway, like books and courses from our guests and some fun merch. 
For just a $10 a month contribution, you'll become an all-access patron and also get bonus exclusive content from me and some of our guests. Behind the scenes, Q&A, bonus questions, all of it. So head over to patreon.com backslash I just blank and now what? Or click on the link in the show notes and become a patron today. Well, hello, Anna Maria. Thanks so much for having me. Hi. Hi. How's it going? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I've been really excited to have this conversation ever since we connected the first time and had our quick chat. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a topic that I've wanted to have on the show for a really long time. So I'm so excited to have you here and talk all about adoption. Great. I'd love to. Excellent. So before we get into your story of, I just want to adopt a child. Now what, what do you want people to know about you? Tell a little bit about yourself. Well, of course I'm an adoptive mom Mm -hmm. and uh, have worked a very long time now, retired in the corporate world in human resources and um, now devote my time to a couple things. Of course, writing, traveling with my family and, um, giving back to the nonprofit world. I'm currently involved in two nonprofits, one providing microloans to women globally and another giving grants to uh, nonprofits in the Philadelphia area. Very cool. I love a good philanthropist. (laughs) And I think that's the kind of the goal for all of us is to be able to take our skills and earn really good livings and and, and then be able to turn around and pay it forward and give back. Mm-hmm. I'm all about earning more so we can give more. So it sounds like that is something yes. that is really passionate to you too. Yes, all right. it is. And a big heart is definitely part of wanting to be, you know, giving back and supporting all these amazing organizations and charities and stuff. And clearly a big heart is needed when you decide to go down the road of adoption. This is a topic that we've had kind of dancing around the podcast a little bit. I was, we've talked a lot about fertility and parenthood mm-hmm. and, and all these things. And this is an, another reason why I really wanted to have somebody come on and talk about adoption. It's like, what are all their ways that people can become parents if they don't have their own biological ones? Or even if they do have their own biological, how do they grow their family through right. adoption? Right. So rewind the tape for us. Take us back. Tell us a little bit about your backstory and a journey about your family and then what led you to decide you wanted to adopt? Actually, it's a, like a 10-year story. I so, love a good long one. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it began as many uh, adoptive uh, families with infertility. I was married very pretty young. And um, then after a while, thought now's the right time to start my family. You know, when things don't happen on course, just, you know, the anxiety started to build. And sure enough, after a miscarriage, I found out that there were some issues, but the miscarriage was really the beginning of the end of that marriage. We, we parted ways. And then, but again, very anxious, will, will I ever be a mom? And so then second marriage, and uh, well, unfortunately, as you can predict, the infertility issues didn't go away. And so I knew that they uh, were, were going to be a problem. We had a, another miscarriage. We finally, though, had professional help and strategy about wh- what to do. Surgery and interventions followed and uh, different therapies. And sure enough, nothing worked. And we said, you know what, we're going to go down the adoption road. We, I wanted to be a mother. We wanted to be a family. So we started that process. And then two months later, I was pregnant. So 
we, two months later with no intervention, not that everything had, had pretty much stopped. And there you go. So we had a beautiful baby girl. And, uh, but then adding to our family, once again, just proved impossible. We had more difficulties and then kind of crept back slowly in our minds to the adoption solution. And so we began to investigate. So all of this was just time and time and the clock, you know, is ticking. We began to investigate adoption alternatives locally, domestically. We had a friend that lived in New Mexico. We, we lived in Philadelphia. We went to New Mexico, different, and we tried different states. There were so many laws in different states. And then after, well, and then that, that agency went out of business. So we, we had a lot of stops and starts it was, you know, really frustrating. So one day going to work, I just happened to see an article in the newspaper about a summer camp that a local church was sponsoring children that lived in different orphanages in Mexico. And at the bottom of the article, it said, these children are also available for adoption. So by that time, our lovely baby girl was seven years old. You know, that, that's how much time had gone by. So we thought, well, no longer an infant would be a good thing for us. Let's look into an older child and these little kids at this summer camp. I got to work and I called them right away and uh, set up a meeting. And we began to go down that road, even though, and I have to say, our friends and family just looked at us with these expressions that were like, you're what? You're going to Mexico to adopt a, a child. So to me, it made perfect sense. You know, you have something in your mind as a goal and we could, uh, we specify that we wanted a girl around the same age as our child. And they said, oh, that's no problem. Because I mean, I could see in the picture, there were 20 kids and they were all, you There's know, and lots of little girls. Lots ready of little to be girls. Yeah. And uh, so we began that process. And then that was like, Another two years and found ourselves at an orphanage meeting our soon-to-be daughter. So some people would say, well, you, you went to, do you speak Spanish? Do you know anything about, we didn't, we just went in knowing that this was the path for us. So it was kind of an amazing journey. It continues to be an amazing journey. Oh, wow. Okay. So Anna Maria, first off, congratulations on finally conceiving your own child. I know that is a no small feat, somebody who has lived through the fertility world myself. I want to ask a question. So you decide, you you and your husband make the decision, okay, let's look into adoption. Right. And just, you know, start, in, you, I'm assuming you just start investigating and starting the kind of the yes. process. Had you applied at that point before you yep. got pregnant? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you had yeah. applied. So your papers were in. Papers. And, and we had done even a little hire us as your parents. We had done a little video. We had written a book. I mean, you have to do the, the agency. There's a lot of homework. A thorough, yeah. yeah. Thorough screening. And um, we're all in for the adoption. And, uh, but I have to say, I mean, it was you know, made me very anxious. I was just, we were applying at that point for an infant and promising that the adoption would be open. And this is something I talked about in, in my book that the best adoptions are really where there are no secrets. I, you know, you're the selfish part of you just wants to take a child and just run home. But you know, the adoption process now is really, it's best if people are honest and open and you know what's going on. But anyway, that turned out to be, we waited a little bit after we found out we were pregnant. And then we finally called the agency and said, you can take us off the list. And that was quite a, that was quite a phone call. Oh, okay. So you came off the list after you found out you were pregnant in hopes of having a second or having more of your own children biologically? Possibly. I mean, that, that was 
It turned out not to be the case, but yeah. So then while our daughter was growing from age two to age you know, seven, we were trying to have our own child again and not successful. And so that's when we began to look into adoption alternatives again. Again, and getting yourself back on a new list and then yes, deciding. New list, right. And then going internationally. So the lists were for more US, they were US uh, focused. Okay. And then when I saw this article in the paper about a, an older child and this whole a program with children from Mexico, we immediately signed up for that. So that's the road we went. And then we stopped working with anyone else. Gotcha. Oh, wow. So there's the adoption world, I'm sure, is a very complex, interwoven, for lack of a better word, business, right? So there's... Yes local, there's across state, there's probably there's international, but then there's also like age ranges. Like you can specify, do you want an infant? Do you want an older child? Then there's obviously the foster care route. Foster to adopt, of course. You know, foster to adopt. Mm -hmm. What was that like navigating this entire adoption industry? Well, don't laugh, but remember the time frame was a, a while ago and it was before you had the world on, on your phone. And so I got the phone book and I went to adoption and just called every single listing and asked them, you know, I had my list of questions. I had my list of do's and don'ts. And so I made these huge lists and huge pros and cons and what we should do. And so it was overwhelming was totally overwhelming, but that's what I, again, before internet. Now there's so much I'm compiling resources for after, you know, writing the books and helping others compiling resources. And it's just, it's amazing all the information that's available now. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Much more streamlined, of course, and easier to find and easier to find resources and communities and other people Yes, who have gone through this. Yes, Facebook kind of groups and yes, guy. it's wonderful. Yeah, you think at the time I thought I was all alone and you, when you suffer a miscarriage, you think you're the only one to have done mm-hmm. it in everything. It's just so isolating and that's the true sad part about it. But the But now there's so much more support out there. It's so much more out in the open and talked about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easier, I think anyway, but. So how old are your daughters now? Uh, 27 and 28. Oh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> let's rewind the tape a little bit more. You, your daughter's now nine. You find this article in the newspaper about <laughs> these beautiful kids at these orphanages. You go to Mexico. Walk us through what that was like going to Mexico. And, and well, and- first we had to apply and sign up. So okay. we, we put together the binder, the massive binder of information, which was sent to, I think about a dozen orphanages. And then about a year later, got a call. Oh, we have a a little girl you might be interested in. And then within three days, we were on a plane going down to meet her. So it is a really big, uh, hurry up and wait. Right. Like do all this work, like really important. Get it it in and then you just sit and you wait. Right. What, What was it like for your daughter to go through this with you guys. So obviously she's a little girl. She knows you guys are planning to adopt. How involved was she in the whole process? She was very involved and very excited and very enthusiastic. And she's just, uh, you know, to this day, just totally open to new experiences. And she's the kind of kid that loves to try new foods and she's amazing. So we, she went with us for the initial meeting and um, met my daughter and we had a few play dates and 
dinner dates and got a chance to know her. And then we flew home and um, it was, oh, I don't know, almost a year later. So again, timeline, almost a year after that, that we, that she then flew to Pennsylvania to live with us to begin the process of finalizing the adoption. And then we all flew back to Mexico two more times as a family. So it's a long, very involved process. And the laws have changed a little bit. I don't think it's the same. There there are different requirements now. There's a different requirement, I think, for staying in Mexico for a certain period of time. But at the time, there those yeah. rules were not a lot, in place. A lot of back and forth. Yeah. You know, obviously being patient is a big part of this process, right? motherhood, fertility, all Mm -hmm. of it. Patience is something that you have to pack with you for any of these journeys that people go on. And we as adults kind of know like, all right, this could take a while. What was it like for your daughter being super excited, being involved in the application, getting to meet her future sister, and then having to wait so long? What was it? What was it like for her? Mm, It was just time is funny for kids. I mean, she got involved in her own things And then, but things were proceeding in Mexico legally. There was the search for her parents, there were required notices, legal work in the background. And then once those hurdles had been achieved, we were given permission to speak to her. So every Sunday before she came to live, I think it was around February or March, we started every Sunday with phone calls and we had a a woman who translated for us And we would ask her, oh, what did you do this week? What's your favorite food? What do you do with your friends? I mean, try just a little conversation just to get her to hear our voices. And and so that went on till, geez, August. And then August she came, or no, no, I'm sorry, June she came to, could I forget that? June she came to live with us. So spring into summer. Okay. So she's now in the United States with all of you. Does she, has she learned any English at this point? And how, no. how good is your Spanish at this point? No, however, no, no, it was, we were told that she had been talked to and prepared for the journey, but, you know, I think it was more entertainment for her every Sunday. We had, we sent gifts to the orphanage and mm-hmm. she probably thought, oh, I'll keep all these. the nice people who send yeah, me presents. Nice people send me presents. But then one day she's on a plane and she, was she lived her whole life at the orphanage. And then one day she woke up and she flew to Pennsylvania, was living in suburban Philadelphia. So that was quite a jolt. And, you know, honestly, I mean, the transitions that adopted children, I mean, adoption begins with trauma, the trauma being separated from the birth mother, that's something called referred to as primal wound. And then our daughter had kind of a double hit in that you know, you have certain images in your mind when you think about an orphanage, but this was a lovely kind of loving place. The woman who cared for her, they call them Tia's. And she was very close to the Tia that cared for her. And uh, to be taken from that environment, she uh, honestly, I mean, she just cried and cried for months. months how, old, months. how old was she when she left the orphanage? She was six turning seven when she, within a few weeks of arriving in our home, she was, had a seventh birthday. So young, 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 young. And but the just first seven years of her life seven, with all right. of these Tia's and these other kids and then to all these kids and uprooted. then suddenly living in a, in a home and uh, with a sister mm-hmm. and just, it was just a lot. And she just cried and cried and cried. 
So anyway, I started to journal all of our experiences. And that was really the first book, my memoir called Love at the Border and Adoption Adventure, because it wasn't all tears and trauma. I mean, there were so many. She's a funny, spunky, fierce, kind of spunky kid that, you know, of course, gave us lots of anxiety, but also entertained us. I mean, she's just an amazing, well, young woman now, of course. But in the beginning, you know, the transition was very difficult. What were some of the things that was the biggest shock for you guys now with her there and for her being there? What were like, if you think back to your memories of like, what were some of the like hard moments of the transition and what were some of the best moments of the transition? Well, some of the hardest moments were just her continued level of sadness. And truth be told, I don't think that I devoted that much time to thinking about what how much she was in pain. And I mean, there were moments of, we just had some, you know, wonderful vacations and celebrations. And she was such a social kid. She enjoyed going to like summer camp and meeting kids and doing fun things. But behind all that was this layer of sadness that she just didn't seem to shake for just a long time. And we tried to help as much as we could, relied on professionals, networked with other adoptive parents to get strategies. But she was, so the, the English came soon enough. I mean, she was very adamant that she did not want to learn English. But of course, kids are so resilient and pick up everything. She learned English within a matter of months And, you know, was very adept. She's a very smart kid. But that was also difficult. Just the whole, your whole world just turning upside down was a process. And did you, did you as a family uh, learn Spanish? Some, yes. We had, in the beginning, I had a tutor to come and teach my younger daughter English and my older daughter Spanish. So they had some fun play games together to kind of learn. That's Um, good. So one person teaching both of them a new language. So it wasn't very focused like, oh, you need to learn English. It was both of them needing to learn a language. And having a chance to interact and get to know each other. And it was such a change because my older daughter had been an only child for many years. And then all of a sudden, all the attention was focused somewhere else. And she was not, not happy. So it was a whole new family dynamic that it took a long time to work at. But worth it, right? Oh, totally. Yes, it was. (laughs) amazing an amazing experience okay so for anyone who's listening right now who is thinking about adoption whether they already have some of their own kids or they're struggling with fertility like you did and adoption is now part of the conversations what are a few things that you remember being part of your thought process that you want to share a couple mm-hmm. nuggets of wisdom, mm-hmm. a couple things that you're like, Hey, I didn't think about this back then, but it's something I wish I had, or this is something that was really helpful for me in that decision mm-hmm. process to go forward with this. Well, first the decision about, as you pointed out, the adoption world is so vast. There are so many decisions to make as to what kind of adoption you, you as a family, whether you as an individual or with a partner would go forward with. My advice would be it, would be to try and meet a network with as many families as possible to talk about the process because it's so different. And by connecting with others that have done it, you get a little bit of a sense of familiarity knowing, can I handle this? Can I not? Can I? And that's really, really critical. So 
that just helps with the whole decision. But once you have that decision, then read as much as possible. Because it wasn't until later, this whole aspect of trauma, separation, loss, primal wound, I read about these things mostly after her adoption. There were many books that were recommended by the agencies, which we dutifully read and wrote book reports on. None of them really focused on this or didn't give it, in my mind, the significance that it that it deserves. And I think now today, kind of the literature and the world is more focused on that. And um, actually, it's kind of the subject of my second book. My second book is called How I Wonder Where You Are. And adoptees spend a lot of time wondering about where they came from, their genetics, their history. They're in a family, then they don't, they don't look like anyone in the family. Be prepared for people. People would say the waitress, the woman at the the dressing room at Macy's, or the would say, "Oh, you don't look like your daughter." And you just you just get these intrusions at any moment, and uh, it's something that the adopted child is thinking about a lot. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a part of grief, really, and it's sometimes referred to as disenfranchised grief, grief that is sometimes minimized or ignored by society. Dismissed. Oh, that's exactly like that. That's that's not really that bad of a thing. Like other people have so much other bigger grief or this grief. Or look at this wonderful family you're with. People would say to us, oh, she's so lucky to be adopted by you when you're one. She's just so lucky. Well, no, not really. I mean, she's, she went through a lot of trauma and grief. And that's hers to own and process. And I think of us as lucky, but, you know, she, it's a lot and it's not something that's acknowledged by society. So anyway, the book is a chance for adopted children just to think about that and own that and give parents permission for them to kind of wander and think those thoughts and talk about it, engage in conversation with adoptees and adoptive moms and dads and kids. Yeah. You know, you mentioning being out in public and people staring at you as a family being like, oh, one of these don't look like the other and feel that they get to comment or share. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was that something that you were prepared for as a white woman adopting a Mexican little girl? Were you ready for that? Or was it kind of a big shock for you when it happened? It was a little bit of a shock because I'm very much a polite conversation person. And I just was not familiar with people being so blunt that I didn't really know. And in turn, it caused my daughter to be more inward focused about her adoption, not sharing, even though it's obvious, but not Mm -hmm. sharing it. And that's, it's hers to share. I didn't say, oh, well, we should, we should tell everyone you're adopted. No, that's hers to share. But just to have that, to be expecting that is something that probably I, I should have been more aware of. And we've talked about it a lot. And has it gotten easier? Oh, definitely. Yes. And she's just achieved so much. I mean, she's a working professional woman and she's coming into her own. I have to say that one of the things that happened during growing up was that, you know, she lost all of her Spanish. And during the years that followed, we supported her trying to retain that and reclaim it as much as possible. Having a tutor, she did a little exchange program with Spain when she was in high school. And it wasn't until she began to go to regular classes in like middle school, high school, and then in college. And she, where she totally reclaimed her language again. And now she's totally fluent and uh, uses that at work. 
And uh, she, I think that's just added so much to her like sense of self and her roots and help, it helps so much with her identity. Yeah. That is like, I guess the truest testament of if you don't use it, you lose it. And so here she yes. was in a new country, learning English, surrounded by Anglos all the time that she ended up losing her Spanish and her language. Wow. Oh, I never... I didn't think that that was, that was going to be part of her journey of losing Spanish and then needing to relearn it. But I guess like with anything, if you don't practice it and use it on the regular, it will diminish. Oh, wow. So now what, what's going on in the family? What's, what's happening in with all of you and your girls and what's some updates that you can share about the adoption world that you're really excited about? Well, the adoption world, I'm investigating resources to include, you know, my website as part of my writing. And there are so many types of, I'll say, support out there. Adoptees, there's support for adoptees. I'm on quite a few Facebook groups that reach out to adoptees for a mentor-mentee relationship to help them through whatever they're going through. You know, I sound like with the internet, there's just so much available, but it really, it's, it's been amazing. And, but for me, what I wanted to add in terms of my books and the unique perspective they provide is that the books are written from the point of view of the child. So the, the books start, and this, this will be a series. As I said, there's one currently, the first one is called many people to love. And it's about, her name is Carla. And this is not my daughter because my daughter would kill me if I wrote any more about her. So this is not about her. And it's about a young girl, Carla, being adopted into the U.S. from Colombia and the things that she's going through. And everything that happens in the book actually happened to us. So, But just a a chance for families to engage in a discussion about these taking apart, kind of pulling apart these small transition uh, sort of activities, new food, new culture, new relationships, school, new weather, <laughs> new weather. What was her first winter in Philadelphia after coming from Mexico? Well, she still hates the cold, but it was <laughs> fascinating to see her run around in the snow and it was hilarious, but building a snowman and, you know, enjoying it, but she does like the warm weather, weather yeah. better. And then, as I said, the second book really about wondering, where do I come from? Who do I look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, arc of the book or the trigger for the story is a family tree. And this has happened over and over again. The assignment of a family tree for an adoptee can be a triggering event. So who are all these people? I don't look like any of them. This is my family tree. And so she works through that in the book. And as I said, goes through a little bit of this grief process that I've been talking about. And so it's important, I think, to encourage this conversation between adopted kiddos and their family. And that's the purpose of the book. So that's what I wanted to um, emphasize. Yeah. Wonderful. Definitely sounds like a really good resource for families who are going through adoption so that their kids have some tools to process all the things that they're feeling. Yes. Because yes, I'm sure... They're grateful having been adopted and moving, but there is a lot of grief and loss about that life that they had before they showed up, especially for older kids like your daughter who have memories of her life, the first Mm -hmm. seven years. And we've, it's important to know too, that we've kept in touch. So my older daughter actually had a chance to return to Mexico and work in the orphanage. 
And we went there and had a reunion of sorts with the other women that raised her. And then when my my younger adopted daughter was in college, she did a study abroad semester in Mexico and also visited with the uh, women at the orphanage and saw them again. So, and she was fluent in Spanish by that point. So it was a real experience for her to go back and speak to them in, in her own language. And family vacations was Mexico, you know, yes. a regular on the destination for family vacation? Pretty much. <laughs> And uh, how about food? What kind of changed in your household in terms of food when she showed up? Well, of course, any time that we had anything connected to Mexican culture, she loved. But she, in fact, this was one incident in the book. She, for some reason, the texture and taste of ravioli, she never liked. And she would constantly just spit it out. It was very funny. But gradually, both of our tastes have expanded. But she is very fond of spicy and hot foods, which I am not. But when we all live together, they're both daughters or live on their own now. But I always make things and have the hot sauce and spice on hand so they can add to it if they want to. (laughs) Good. So her coming to your home kind of like opened up your culinary experiences and a little bit of the palate too. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, Anna Maria, where can people find you if they want to learn more about adoption, if they want to get copies of these amazing books that you've written, where do you like to hang out on the social interwebs? Well, the book is for sale on Amazon and my website has a link. The website is amddo.com. So just my name, amandamariaamdodio.com. And there's a link there to the books. The second book is scheduled to be released late August-ish, early September. The memoir is there. There's a audible version of the memoir that's read beautifully by someone with wonderful voices in Spanish and very entertaining. And uh, more information about me on the website. I'm still building the website, but that's... And I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So parting mother to mother share for anyone who's listening to this episode, who is longing for a child and considering adoption, what little nugget would you like to share with them? Be prepared, be prepared by reading, connecting with other families and utilizing the help of professionals. The more you know about the process, the more you can prepare yourself. It can be a very difficult process, but the way to add to a family through adoption is magical and wonderful. And pack patience, right? And because it is, that's <laughs> right. There's, it is a long process. It's a long process. Yes. So don't give up hope. It'll happen. It'll happen. And and now with the world, the state that we're in, international adoption gets tricky. I know friends that have adopted in different countries. Now those countries are now no longer doing it, but then other countries open up. So it really is important to connect with someone who's in the know and has a read on where, how, when, and where, and why, how to do that. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Anna Maria, for joining me on the show. I learned so much today about adoption process, especially from the perspective of that adoptee and things that they go through. It's, it's something that probably people don't really think about as you say, they're kind of, it's kind of just dismissed. So thank you for joining me. And if this episode resonated with you, or if you know somebody who is thinking about wanting to adopt, 
please share this episode with them. It just may help them figure out their own now what phase in building their family and considering adoption. So that is it for us for the full episode. But if you are a patron of the podcast, head over to patreon.com backslash I just blank now what because Anna Maria and I are going to continue this conversation. She's going to be sharing a little bit more over there. So if you want to hear a little bit more, uh, make sure that you sign up to become a patron and you can get this bonus content over there. So that's it from me. Thanks so much. And we will see you all next week on another episode of I just blank now what. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.